I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not and, as um, simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more know, doors. The show is called The Deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zip line through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hey there. It is the Planet Football Podcast. Grant Wall here with Luis Miguel Echegaray. And my friend, this is going to be a hard one. Yeah, this is going to be a tough one. Um, obviously, we'll get into it, but obviously the tragic, devastating news of Kobe Bryant and his daughter, Gianna, and the other passengers, the victims, have really, you know, sort of created this cloud over not just the basketball world, but the entire sports world. Yeah, and obviously Kobe didn't play soccer, but it felt almost as if he did, if you followed him over the years. Um, for those of you who don't know, he grew up in Italy, uh, where his father played uh, and was an AC Milan fan, Barcelona fan. Um, I always wanted to talk about, have a nice conversation with him about soccer. Never, never got the opportunity, but um, clearly cared about the sport. Um, and like you, I, it, this is really tragic. And I'm thinking about the other people on the helicopter. I'm thinking about his daughter, Gigi, who was 13, who... If you followed social media over the last couple of years, you would see clips of her. Uh, clearly had a future in basketball. Um, just two weeks ago, actually, uh, Kobe was part of the MLS Media Day. And I was out there in L.A. And uh, he was really patient, did a lot of interviews, one-on-one -on -one interviews with different people. Um, you could see the respect he had from other, from players, from everyone there. Uh, and so right now, today, just the day after this happened, the whole thing seems really surreal, just waking up this morning and and processing that um, this really happened. Yeah, uh, I echo everything that you've said. Um, it's really bizarre, surreal, tragic. As you mentioned, we can't forget the other victims, of course. Um, but what's really sticking out to me right now, I mean, there's a few things. I mean, first of all, the fact that, you know, I was watching a clip from Jimmy Kimmel two years ago and Kobe's talking about 
his daughter and how like so many people went up to him and were like, listen, like you got to have a son. You and Vanessa got to have a son because, you know, eventually you need somebody to carry the torch. And Gianna would stop them and be like, oh, I got this. And that just that just broke me. Um, personally, this is also affecting me a little bit because he, he, he dies at 41 years old, which is when my mother died. And just it comes back about, you know, how people just go and leave us so young and so many messages are across the, the digital and social media landscape are not just about obviously the tragedy, but it's about life is so precious and it can it doesn't matter. And I think that the reason why it's affecting us so much is because one, he was a an iconic public figure and, you know, uh, somebody larger than life. And like you said, you know, even as a soccer fan, you felt that he was connected to us as well. So when something like this happens, it affects you so much and you don't know how to react. But to me, it's about also understanding that it doesn't matter who you are or what your plans are. Life can be taken away from you just like that. And sometimes you just, I mean, I, I, I just hugged and kissed my wife. I even messaged my, my family in Peru. And it's just, you know, it just, it gives you so many connections, but... Just back to to the tragedy, you know, you're looking at all these posts and news uh, reports and comments all the way from us, Sports Illustrated, to ESPN and NBA TV and podcasts and messages. And everybody obviously feels this energy that his high school in, in Philadelphia, there's flowers outside at Staples Center, of course. I, I read also that the town in Italy where he grew up as well is, is feeling this and from a soccer perspective, this is also enormous. As you mentioned, uh, he moved to Italy uh, when his father was playing basketball and AC Milan became his first love. And then Barcelona eventually, uh, our editor, our head producer, Avi Creditor, wrote a, a great sort of uh, story to encapsulate his love with soccer. One of them was he was obviously in love with Barcelona and the team. Um, many stories about it came out. And one of them was he's very he was very close with Ronaldinho. And when he was uh, at Barcelona, just talking to Ronaldinho years and years ago, Ronaldinho introduced him to this young kid. And he said, watch out for this one. He's going to be the greatest player in the world. And that kid was 17-year-old Lionel Messi. And... Uh, Kobe Bryant would joke with Ronaldinho and say, no, no, no way, you're the best in the world, just joking around. And, and you know, just his love for the game. He also talks about how when he played, he said, you know, many times basketball is about the pick and roll, the give and go. But thanks to soccer, he also saw basketball as a triangular game. And that's really a lot of his love of you know, the craft of tactics and mentality really comes from, from the game and, and the game loved them equally. There's a ton of different ways people process something like this, right? Um, a lot of people spent their day on social media yesterday. There were a lot of things written. Um, I actually got off social media the second I saw it. And I didn't tweet. I, everyone does their own thing. Um, I think Twitter in particular... Can, can be can be both positive and a negative in a situation like that because you've got bad information, incorrect information about really important stuff that gets out. Um, it's also, though, a community, and so you can get something positive out of it as well, or you can just decide, you know what, I'm going to log off for the day, which is I, I just watched a movie with my wife. Um, but in, in thinking about 
sort of uh, my impressions of Kobe over the years, you know, I, I covered college basketball as my main sport for a long time at Sports Illustrated, but because he never went to college, I ended up not covering him. But you could see the impact he had. I did a, a big story on LeBron James when he was a high school junior. And Kobe ended up getting into that story quite a bit because uh, the year was 2000, like 01, 02. And uh, I remember talking to a coach, a high school coach who had played LeBron's high school team and had played Kobe's team, is a Pennsylvania coach. And the guy saying, this kid was even better than Kobe was when we played him. Uh, was, keep in mind when nobody knew who LeBron James was. Um, and then I went to, a couple weeks later, as part of the reporting for that story, went to Trenton where there was the famous um, LeBron James, Carmelo Anthony High School game. The same weekend that the All-Star game, NBA All-Star game was taking place in Philadelphia. And I remember that LeBron and Maverick Carter his buddy had driven down just, you know, the short drive to Philadelphia that weekend. And um, Kobe had given him a pair of his like signature shoes that LeBron wore in the game. And actually LeBron talked about this a couple nights ago when he had broken, he had passed Kobe in the scoring list and how he remembered that. And he loved those shoes so much and they meant so much to him as a high school kid that he wore them even though they were a size too small. They were Kobe size 14, or uh, yeah, 14, even though LeBron was wearing a 15. So for me, a lot of the last 24 hours has been thinking about just all my memories of the impact that Kobe had on other people, like LeBron at that age. I can remember being at the 2008 Olympics in China, covering those, and... Kobe would go to other sporting events at those Olympics. He was like, it was incredible because he was so huge in China. Like it, it hit me only when he got on the ground there. I thought, well, LeBron will be like the, the most popular American player. And he wasn't, it was Kobe. And yet Kobe would still go, like he went to the, the soccer final, uh, which had semifinal and final. Cause that the, the semi had, Messi and Ronaldinho in it. And Argentina just toasted Brazil in that game. And Kobe's in the stands, literally in the stands, getting mobbed by Chinese folks. I, I, I tried to find a way to get there and just, it was like this sea of humanity. I was just like, okay, not going to get there. That's okay. <laughs> but you saw how, um, how important he was to all these folks in China, there's a famous old quote from Reggie Jackson back in the seventies, the baseball player about a billion people in China don't care if I hit a home run tonight. Well, those billion people in China cared about Kobe Bryant. Yeah. A lot. Yeah. You bring a really good point actually about Kobe's legacy from an international perspective. Yeah. Um, obviously we know the legacy LeBron continues to build and he will live behind and, but it's such a good point. I mean, I remember just growing up uh, in England after leaving Peru. And, you know, the NBA was obviously had already a brand within itself because of Michael Jordan and stuff. And then, but it's so true. Kobe had such an international sort of um, 
star, sort of, you know, proverbial star that just kept going across every type of nation or culture. It didn't matter. I think part of it was because, you know, he was the yin to Shaquille O'Neal's yang. He was very graceful in terms of his game, but also he was so marketable and he knew how to speak. I mean, it's not a coincidence that he also won an Oscar, you know, uh, for writing uh, Dear Basketball and, you know, being part of that being part of that movie, uh, that animated movie that he won an Oscar for. So, but there was such an, an international iconic sort of brand to him that everybody, and obviously China being such a big basketball market, just knew him so well. I mean, personally, another aspect of all this is like, I lived in LA for a few years, obviously, when I was an actor and everything. And something that really like hit with me was his uh, relationship with the Latino community, mm -hmm. with the Los Angeles Latino community. I mean, we obviously know the Lakers are such a um, an emblem of what LA represents, et cetera. And a big part of that is the Latino NBA fan. And, and Kobe, Kobe knew that. Kobe, Kobe thought very hard about that relationship. In fact, his final press conference, he specifically gave a shout out to Los Latinos, the Latino NBA community, uh, literally in the media... Uh, day that you talked about that you went, you know, our friend Her Gomez uh, introduced him, uh, talked to him for ESPN in Spanish, and he's he always said he wasn't great at it, but he's very comfortable in Spanish. Obviously, a few words here and there, but he he was such a he was a he was a student. I think that that's a major way of, of talking about. Like he always wanted to learn more, et cetera, et cetera, and just bringing it all back. Just the fact that. He's left us along with his daughter. It just absolutely destroys me because you could see his wife being Mexican-American too. Just, just For the Latino communities, this also hits. I mean, it hits with everybody, but it's just such a powerful, horrible, tragic statement that leaves us. Um, and we're still processing it. And I think going back to your point, the fact that you said you couldn't tweet, you couldn't do anything, um, and that's fine. And I, I want people to realize that. It doesn't, you know, whether we're talking about or even if you did tweet, I tweeted, and the thing sure. that I and the thing that I tweeted was, grief is very personal. It's very you. It's very. It's a ladder that you climb. It's not like there's no booklet for it. So if you want to be away from social media, go ahead. If you want to um, try and engage on social and share it as a community, obviously, like you said, there's always there's always like this darkness when it comes to trying to find immediate reports. But the other part of it is, we shouldn't feel pressure to do one or the other. And I think that this is a specific moment for that. Uh, and the one thing I just want to mention too is that we can't forget the other people. Uh, baseball coach John um, Altobelli from Orange Coast College, his wife Carrie, daughter Alyssa were also on the helicopter. Um, Christina Mauser, an assistant girls basketball coach uh, in Orange County, was also there. Uh, Sarah Chester and her daughter Peyton uh, were also passengers on the helicopter. So these all these are people and their families who 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 will feel the tragedy and the loss and and I pray and I and I think I'm thinking of all of them. Another person in the soccer community that I'm thinking about today who Kobe had a big impact on is Sydney Larue, uh, U.S. women's player. Um, she had a really tight relationship with Kobe and his family, um, and uh, that has been there for many years actually, and. Um, you know, it's she didn't tweet either yesterday. I noticed, and so I was thinking about her. Uh, she's actually an amazing writer, Sydney Larue. Yeah, 
Uh, it's, uh, I've known that for a few years. Um, and she, it's one of the reasons Ashlyn Harris said that she had, had selected, along with Allie Krieger, Sidney LaRue to officiate their wedding. Um, and so, yeah, I'm thinking about her. Um, and, uh, you know, anyone who feels a real sense of loss today, and, and some people knew him, some people didn't, um, it would be difficult. I haven't had to write anything. I don't cover you know, basketball necessarily, but it would be difficult to write something about Kobe. There's been some, some good things out there, including on Sports Illustrated's website. I suggest everyone check it out from Michael Rosenberg, Rowan Nicarney, um, Chris Ballard, Chris Ballard, others. Um, yeah. and, uh, and, and the hardest part, I think, if, if you were to write something would be there's so much shock, right? Um, and, and yet part of his story, and this is also an obituary, um, is, you know, including, uh, what happened in Colorado, uh, and the rape case that the criminal charges were dropped. The civil charges ended up in a settlement, uh, payment. Um, and for some people that doesn't matter for some people that matters a heck of a lot. You know, and so, um, you know, if you're writing an obituary and, and looking at someone's life, that's going to get a- addressed, I think. And I think Charlie Pierce, actually, for GQ, might have addressed it in the most appropriate way, in my opinion, which is you can't erase that. Absolutely not. You, you, know? you can't. To erase it is to erase everything about Kobe. It's not just the idealistic images that we want to see. It's everything. It's everything. And that, that's part of what he leaves behind, too. Um, pretty hard to do a graceful transition here. Is there anything else you want to add? Uncle no, Lee? I mean, I, I, I think um, we could obviously go the entire podcast with this. Uh, but, you know, life must move on and we must move on. But um, the only last thing I will say is I, this is, you know, my condolences and my deepest thoughts to... The, those who survive the victims uh, and I pray that uh, you know peace will find them you know in the future thank you for doing that uh, my thoughts exactly um, let's talk a little bit about the weekend uh, other than that uh, there were soccer games um, in England it was an FA Cup weekend and so if I'm being perfectly honest here Luis Miguel it's kind of a lost weekend for England, for me. I, I just didn't, I don't pay as much, I, I, I'm aware of what happened and we, we'll talk about it here in a little bit at the FA Cup, but basically I think it's a, a weekend where in this country, at least, uh, the German Bundesliga and La Liga in Spain and the Italian League have an opportunity to um, take precedence in a way that they maybe don't typically on a weekend. Oh, absolutely. I mean, you know, if you're living in England, I mean, when I used to live in England, uh, even then it's, it loses a little bit, unless obviously you are a loyal supporter, fan of the lower division clubs. It's a big opportunity for you to represent the club and see what you can do against the bigger the bigger teams. But, you know, if you want to be completely honest, it's, it's never going to live up to the hype and the energy that you're used to when you see a full league fixture list, match list, just like the Premier League. So I agree, the focus, obviously there were some highlights, I guess, you know, um, Manchester United, you know, playing in a, 
you know, a horrible a cow, a cow pitch pasture. in the year, right? And then obviously Liverpool uh, tying with Shrewsbury and, you know, Jurgen Klopp saying obviously they're not going to, you know, focus on their main players again, you know, which was going to probably happen during the winter break. But to be honest, the focus really is the Bundesliga, La Liga, that they're the ones that really take advantage. Yeah, so let's go to the continent. And I want to lead with the man I call the Paul Bunyan of world soccer. <laughs> Great piece, by the way. Thank if you, you guys haven't read it, please read it. Erling Holland, six foot four inches, 19 years old, very large Norwegian who runs like he's much smaller and has feet like he's much smaller. Scored two more goals for Dortmund, coming off the bench yet again. I'm, I'm really hoping he can earn a starting spot at some point. Uh, five goals now for Dortmund in like 61 minutes of play. I think it's 57. Is it that? Okay. <laughs> but, you know, let's not cut straws here. It's a, basically in an hour's time. We've talked about how unbelievable this player is. I mean, f- forget his size, forget his ability to also play like he's smaller and he's just, you know, uh, cunning um, sort of talents to just get inside the box, head ins- outside of his movement. He's he's 19. He's 19. It's crazy. Yeah. I mean, to see him and 19, fellow 19-year-old Jaden Sancho scoring in this game as well. And, Beautiful goal from Jaden Sancho this week. And 17-year-old Gio Reyna, the American, gets on again. Um, Dortmund's just a really fun team to follow. And it's, a, you know, sometimes... We hear, oh, if, you know, Dortmund only has these guys for a couple years and they sell them. And sometimes people use that as an argument as to why not to watch this or be a fan of this team. For me, it makes them more alluring. They've got the best young players in the world. And we're seeing these stars emerge. And it's not just one or two. It's like, literally, they have so many of these guys who come through. And there's a reason Holland chose Dortmund. Absolutely. And we've talked about it because development. And it's a large yeah. it's a larger imagery to MLS. Like we talk it's a developing league that allows certain talent, young talent, see them at a certain, you know, window in their career. And and I'm with you. It's 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 a great league to to keep watching. And the way they market it, by the way, it's fantastic. Well, and now this is the league in Europe with a title race that's pretty fun to watch. Now, you can argue that Juve is only up by three points in Italy on on Inter. But in Germany, you really do at this point have four teams that seem like they could win this thing. Yeah, let's just uh, recap what happened this weekend. Um, Dortmund uh, destroyed FC Köln 5-1. But also Leipzig lost to Eintracht Frankfurt 2-0. Bayern Munich saw what Dortmund did on Friday and did one better by also scoring five goals against Schalke without conceding a goal. Um, so when you look at the standings right now, you now still have Leipzig on top by just one point. Bayern Munich, uh, uh, 39 points, one behind Leipzig's 40. Then Gladbach uh, on 38, Dortmund on 36, Bayer Leverkusen on 34, Schalke on 33, Hoffenheim 7th uh, with 30, and so on. So it's so tight. It's crazy. Yeah. Um, and that Bayern was the Bayern that when they are at their best, they're they're the best team in the league. They've yeah. obviously won seven straight titles there. This year, they haven't always been at that level, and so that's why they've changed coaches. That's why they're not in first place. But if you had to pick one team to win this thing, it's Bayern. Yeah. Isn't I'm, it? Yeah, I think so. And I think this is an argument for the long winter break during the holiday season. You could see that they pressed the reset button, and they looked fresh, and they looked ready. 
and it says a lot for both uh, the you know Bayern Munich, but also you know the league in itself, the league race in itself. Well, and also too, if you're a fan of Yanks abroad, Americans playing, you've got um, young Americans playing for the top teams in the Bundesliga. Tyler Adams started. Josh Sargent for Leipzig. Verder, not necessarily at the top of the league, but he, he, he started. He did start, though. Uh, had a rough, rough game, <laughs> unfortunately. He started, Grant. If you're an American fan, you're, you're yeah. happy about that. Um, yeah, Weston Kenny is, is getting back healthy for Schalke. Um, you know, Gio Reyna is somebody you want to yeah. keep an eye on with Dortmund. Um, I kind of wish that the Bundesliga wasn't a lame duck this year with Fox because I think instead of putting these games on FS2, they would put some of them on Big Fox, which would be kind of a neat thing especially for these young Americans, but I don't know if they're going to do that at this point. Yeah, um, I don't think so. Um, and not forgetting Univision as well, too, then it has them in Spanish. Uh, so it's a great, it's it's a lot, a lot of matches for in, in Germany from if you're a U.S. viewer. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zip line through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at marines.com. Moving on to Italy, uh, Juventus with a rare loss to a Napoli team that had been pretty brutally bad for quite a while here. And Juve just didn't really show up in this game, it seemed like. No, it didn't. I, I saw snippets of this match, but you definitely saw uh, Gattuso's Napoli give a sort of Gattuso performance yeah. when he was playing. It was very gutsy. Didn't allow Juve to really have that much space. But, you know, listen, you look at the table. I mean, like you said, Inter Milan didn't take advantage. But, you know, Napoli right now is in 10th. So yeah. they needed to do everything that they can uh, to get back to the table. But I still see this as Juventus' uh, Serie A to, to lose, especially since Inter Milan didn't take advantage. Every time I think that Inter has an opening, they kind of wet the bed. Yeah. You know? I mean, if you look at it, like this was a, a golden opportunity here against Cagliari at home to get three points. Uh, instead, 1-1 one, one tie. Lautaro Martinez sent off. scored and was sent off literally in stoppage time. So now that leaves him off for a few matches. And that's going to be big. 
Yeah, and, and this is the time that you're not going to get many opportunities for Juventus to lose games. You just won't. And so when you, when this happens, I think that's a real issue. Funny story, my wife and I are walking to brunch on Sunday in New York here, and we walk by this bar, and there's people waving these orange and red giant flags outside of this bar near where we live. She's like, what is that? And I was like... I think I know what that is. And it's Roma. It's Roma fans. <laughs> I, I didn't realize that the Roma bar of New York is actually much closer to where I live than, but it was Roma Lazio. Um, right. And, Huge uh, derby. Ends up being a tie, but that's one of those games that is sort of on my bucket list that you got to go see at some point. Um, and uh, I just didn't realize that it was close to home as well. Yeah, that's great. That's awesome. 1-1. One, um, one. Um, and in Roma and Lazio, third and fourth place. Um, in the Champions League spots. Uh, I still think Atalanta might make a run back in. They just are sort of the little team that could. They put seven on, uh, who was it? Uh, I should know this. Let me just check here. But Atalanta, like you said, is on 38 points, fifth, just one off Roma. So like you said, it can still- And they're in the it, Champions League knockout rounds too. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, they're the, they're the, they're the underdog of the underdogs in the final knock, in the, in the next knockout stages, but they destroyed Torino 7 nothing. <laughs> it's kind of weird, like, especially when you do that on the road, like it, it's a little bit like the uh, Southampton nil, you know, nine for Leicester and, and you wonder, I, I assume the Torino manager is still there or like that's... Uh, Let's see what the patience is like in Italy as opposed to England. <laughs> yikes. Speaking of yikes, Barcelona losing 2-0 at Valencia despite having ridiculous amounts of possession that they didn't really do anything with. And Kike Setien already, you know, under the magnifying glass, he came in, everyone's like, oh, this is going to be Barcelona style again. They're going to be possessing the ball. Well, they possessed it. They didn't do anything. Absolutely. And this is what we've been talking about. Listen, like, first of all, you can't expect a full, I mean, you know, mid-season, you're not going to get exactly what you want uh, out of, you know, if you want style and results, you might have to wait a little bit longer especially if Luis Suarez is injured, your main target point. But to your point, listen, this is what you're going to get. This Kike Setien wants possession, you know, but if you, but you might not get that killer instinct. And the whole argument when Valverde was there was, you know, we want the Barcelona of old, we want tiki-taka possession. Well, you got your possession, but you might not get your wins. And you better get used to that because it really might not happen. So I think... Um, you know, I read a few tweets of this, and I agree. I think the Barcelona fans need to just really, whatever happens this season happens. You need to just focus really on the next one because, you know, Real Madrid, you know, they beat Valladolid 1-0. They got three points ahead of Barcelona, now top of the table. I, I see Real Madrid now really. This is their league, their league to lose. Yeah, um, they can pull away. Yep. So, but, you know, Barcelonistas want its style. You got your style, but don't expect wins every single time, even with the great Lionel Messi. Well, and even the great Barcelona tiki-taka teams pressed well as a unit yeah. and got the ball back very quickly in opportune locations often. And Which now, is actually Guardiola's number one objective. People talk a lot about the possession thing. His main thing was like, when you lose the ball, get it as soon as you can. And pressing's hard. Absolutely, because you got to do it in shape and tactics and... Stamina. Uh, yeah, <laughs> you got to keep going and going and, you know... 
And Kike Setien did say after the game, like, you know, I think some players are still not understanding, like, our, what I want to get from them. It's like, well, that's obviously natural. You've only had them for, like, two weeks. So, you know, I think it's a lost season for Barcelona. you got to wait till next season. I, I'll tell you what. I've gone from thinking maybe toward the end of the group stage that Barcelona had a shot to win Champions League to right now I feel like they really don't. No chance. Liverpool would destroy them if they meet again. That's what I think. I don't, you know, it's my opinion. But And yours too, I'm, I'm sure. Yeah. Um, we mentioned England. Is there anything else to add here? I think here's a couple interesting things. I didn't even realize that there's a winter break for the first time in England that they've instituted for February where they're supposed to have a couple weeks off. But now these very same FA, because there are replays still for FA Cup draws, that they're having the replays during the winter break, (laughs) which sort of defeats the purpose. Exactly. You know, because you still have replays in the FA Cup, you really don't have a proper winter break. It's still going to go. And also, my argument to all this is like, that's great that you want to do this, but it, does it come a little too late? Shouldn't it be at Christmas time? I think that's when it should be. I just, I find it extremely uh, unrealistic that they'll ever bring it to Christmas because it's such a big money uh, maker for them. But, you know, Boxing Day being a giant day but i just think like doing it in february aside from the argument that you just made aside from the fact that if you're doing a replay for the fa cup you don't have a winter break and then the other side is like it comes too late i think yeah you've already played so many matches by the time january finishes you're already done (laughs) i mean the thing about fa cup replays for me it's a little like in grand slam tennis in the fifth set when they get rid of the tiebreaker and say you have to win by two games and like these poor players end up like having 22-21 in the fifth and just like, what? What's going on here? This is ridiculous. Why are we doing this? Well, we've said what we said already, right? In Germany and in, La, and in Copa del Rey, like, oh, there's no replay. The team from the lower division hosts. And that's it. Yeah. Just do it that way. Yep. Ridiculous. Yep. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Um, let's move to North America. Not a ton of stuff, um, to attack this week, but this quote from Chicharito, I think there was this video that went viral and I think for good reason, because it was a very human thing for an athlete to say, and you don't get that kind of raw honesty very often, but this was on a a YouTube channel where, uh, the video is of him Chicharito talking to his parents and in tears um, saying, you know, this is the end of the European dream and he's chosen to go to L.A. And it's a really heartfelt conversation with his parents, which is why it should stick out, in my opinion. For some people, many of whom I think have a bit of an agenda against MLS, it stuck out for a different reason because he was saying that this was the beginning of his retirement. Now, here's a question for you as a Spanish speaker. Now, I speak Spanish too, but I'm not a native Spanish speaker. The word retirar, to retire, 
Is that a little different in Spanish than it is in English? I just wanted to see if if if, you, if it's if it's not, then okay. But it is in the context of this conversation. Okay. Because what he was saying was, and by the way, until I saw tweets about sort of minimizing MLS, I thought nothing of this video aside from the fact that here was an incredibly raw human right. video where a human being, I don't care how big you are, is talking to his dad and his parents and saying, I'm, I'm going to, I'm leaving Europe, which was our ultimate dream. I've been here for 10 years and going to North America. And in retirar in this specific situation means and Chicharito himself like said it in the press conference it means he's saying he's saying no I'm 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 going towards the latter stages of my career it's not saying he doesn't mean so to, to answer your question it, it it can mean the same thing but in the context of this conversation it didn't mean him saying you know I'm done it, yeah. it's more about I'm about to face the latter stages of my career like he said himself this can also the, mi retiro my, this can mean to, 10 year a 10 year thing it can mean a 5 year thing it just means that i'm i'm reaching the last part of my career which is okay it's true it's a fact like it also hit me that he would have said the exact same thing if he had gone back to chivas de guadalajara <laughs> absolutely and nobody would have taken that as some reason to slam or china Liga MX. exactly and it's, so people forget that's frustrating people forget one thing and this is like I, you said it i said it many people said it when you are a non european player when you're a Latin American player, an African player, whatever. Uh, you, basically, if you're a player that doesn't come from from you know one of the main leagues, one of the main nations in Europe, and you begin your career like he did in Mexico, you know, he left a very young age for Manchester United, and that was his entire um, objective. He just wanted to be in Europe, and he wanted to be the best of the best. Well. He won the Champions League with Real Madrid. He won the league with Manchester United. He scored goals for Leverkusen, West Ham, Sevilla, etc. And after that much time, it, it must be so difficult for him to say goodbye to all of that. And after a decade and then say, I'm going back to North America and I'm finally facing my final years as a player. That's what he meant. And anybody that minimizes MLS or prioritizes that theme as opposed to like just him being a person phasing his own mortality so to speak i'm just i'm just amazed like it's crazy i want to ask you about the relationship between chicharito and the latino media the mexican media the spanish language media because i get it that this is kind of a sensitive topic and this is going to include some media people that you and i have a ton of respect for but the relationship seems not great in many ways. And, I, and I, I look at some of the things that were said about Chicharito saying this. I look at some of the criticism he got for saying he comes back as a Mexican legend, um, which is true, by the way. <laughs> he's, he's Mexico's greatest all-time goal scorer. Um, <laughs> Why? <laughs> and, and this is like pretty mild compared to the stuff Zlatan would say last year. Exactly. And so... What's going on there? What is it with the relationship? And I'm not saying it's this way with every member of the Mexican media, but we've noticed this a little bit, haven't we, over the last couple of years, even with Vela and the Mexican media? Um, 
when Osorio was the manager. This happens all the time. What's going on? Well, it's a it's a complex. It's not complex. It's more like it, it's a longer narrative than people think. The Mexican media, much like many countries in Latin America, their number one objective is to almost um, dramatize and create polarization instead of actually, you know, instead of celebrating or at least, you know, laying the facts and the reports of a certain player, athlete, or team, it's really more, uh, you know, exaggerated. Or at least the, the number one focus is to create an argument. Hmm. The number one focus is to create drama. I mean, British tabloid papers do the same I've thing. I've noticed some similarities with Mexican tabloids and British tabloids. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the, 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 it's, it's, it's to create a dramatization, right? It's, it's, it's to sell. They need to sell. So you can't just say... If you are in a newsroom or if you are in a, you know, in a show where you debate, you know, uh, games like the Mexican ver version of like, you know, whatever, our, what we do here or match of the day, whatever. You can't just like have an almost civilized conversation about the player, etc. There needs to be some kind of dramatization. So everything needs to be bigger and more argumentative etc and chicharito falls under that because he is the number one symbol for el tri and he always will be i don't care how many more goals raul jimenez will score chicharito is the symbol of mexican male soccer he just is both from a branding perspective and everything that he has given he's mexico's greatest all-time scorer so there's that the other part i think there's a bitterness that chicharito is coming to the u.s hmm. as opposed to returning to liga mx okay I think that that's part of it as well. Liga MX doesn't, and I think he said it himself, and I agree. I don't, Liga MX doesn't want to admit that MLS is, I mean, it's not there. Liga MX is a better league. I want to clarify that. Liga MX is a better league than MLS. Okay? But MLS is creeping up. I mean, it still needs to win CONCACAF Champions League. And needs a few to do, times. Right? It needs to do that. But Liga MLS is growing and growing. And now that it has Alan Pulido, Carlos Vela was the main star last year. Chicharito is there now. You know, there now seems to be this, you know, I'm sure JJ Macias might maybe even, you never know. My point is, I think Liga MX, there's a bitterness to the fact that MLS is growing. And that might be part of it as well. But I think the overall thing, you saw it with Juan Carlos Osorio. I mean, he just got completely destroyed no matter what he did or how he did it. He got destroyed. When Mexico lost to Brazil at the World Cup, it was like, forget everything else that you've done before this. You are a failure, you know? Um, it, it, and that really is the rhetoric, and I think that, in my opinion. It is interesting. I mean, and Chicharito did a million interviews last week, a lot of one-on-one -on -one interviews, big press conference. Uh, with the media, at least with the American media. I don't know how many did. Maybe some with the Mexican media. I saw Fernando Schwartz got one with him. Um, but it's interesting that a lot of times when I've covered the Mexican national team, when the players go through the post-game mix zone where you do interviews, yeah. they don't talk to oh, the media there. My friend, uh, you, you, you did a great chat with Carlos Vela. I talked to him just when he moved to LAFC uh, alongside Diego Rossi, and I remember talking to you know the team to try and talk to him and Carlos Vela he told me Carlos Vela was like, Carlos Vela himself he was like you know I saw Luis Miguel Echegaray and the first thing that he asked was like is he Mexican huh. and as soon as he was no no he's Peruvian grew up in England like oh okay I'll talk to him <laughs> that is not a joke 
That is not a lie. Like so, that whatever you may think of what we're talking about, and whatever you may think of the Mexican media or the Mexican athlete, that relationship right now, and it's always been like this, sort of somewhat tainted. And they're not the only country. I mean, they're you know, Argentina is just as aggressive a lot of times. Uh, the, we've already talked about England and the way they treat their players sometimes. You know, so that exists everywhere. But the Mexican media, you know, sometimes can just be way, way, way too argumentative for the sake of drama. Interesting. Um, Speaking of LAFC, they started sort of the preseason. They already had a preseason game against Peñarol. Yeah, the atmosphere. Did you see the atmosphere? Did you? I actually go? didn't see much about this game. Sorry. <laughs> I mean, I didn't watch it. Carry me, Luis Miguel. <laughs> carry me. Grab, don't worry. It's not like I watch. Like you know, the LAFC social media team does a really good job at like you know covering the atmosphere. Yeah. It's, one of, it's one of their main selling points, right? Just like how energetic the stadium sure. is. And Bank in California Stadium just looked. It was a preseason game and it was packed. Wow. And it was crazy. And Carlos Vela uh, scored a great goal. I mean, it was just preseason, but you know yeah. the atmosphere is there, and it's just getting you really excited for for uh, for the new season. And this is the really the the first week where you're going to see uh, uh, warm up matches, etc. Yeah. So, and that was just one of the main ones against Peñarol, who, by the way, is managed uh, by Diego Forlán. So. We also got just a couple of weeks to go before Concacaf Champions League uh, knockout round start, and we'll talk more about that maybe next week, week after. Um, but it'll be good, like, to get some actual real games involving MLS teams yeah, going. I'm ready. You know. Yeah. Um, also wanted to talk about U.S. Women's National Team. Their Olympic qualifying tournament starts Tuesday night. Uh, What's going on? What's going on with uh, the TV coverage? Weird, here? weird TV situation here. We're recording this on Monday. We finally have an official announcement that Fox Sports. We'll be broadcasting these U.S. Women's National Team Olympic qualifying games. And for people out there who are asking the question, why did they wait until the day before the start of the tournament to actually get a broadcaster in the U.S.? Very good question. It's uh, crazy. It is crazy. And um, here's CONCACAF's perspective, which I will share, and then I will explain my opinion. CONCACAF's perspective was, was that it's in our interest to try and sell this women's qualifying tournament as part of a package of rights involving other CONCACAF properties like the Gold Cup, CONCACAF Champions League, um, things like that, um, men's Olympic qualifying uh, as a package so we can make sure that those other properties get on TV as well. And so, okay, but you really should have gotten this taken care of before now because I think you're going to have fewer people watch these games now. of yeah. the U.S. Women's Olympic Qualifying Tournament. Now, keep in mind, too, U.S. is playing Haiti, and so this could be another 13 to nothing game. Right. You know, and so every group stage game could be that way. I mean, I've covered this tournament in the past, and so the only game that really matters is the semifinal because that's the game you have to win to qualify for the Olympics, and who knows who that'll be against. Um and if it's against like a Mexico or something, it won't be 13 to nothing. But um, this should be an easy qualification for the U.S. However, this team, every one of their games now is broadcast in the U.S., whether it's by rights holders like Fox or ESPN or Univision. And so it is a little weird. And you get the feeling that women's soccer is being disrespected. Again, these are the world champions and it looked like we might have a situation where CONCACAF was having to put the broadcast on their own website just so that it could be watched. And that's not not great. Yeah, I mean, when you just explained uh, CONCACAF's 
um, sort of excuse or description, reason, etc. That's all very well. To me, it's about the timing. Like, why did it take so long? Um, I understand you want to sell it as a package, but like you mentioned, we're talking about the World Cup champions. Well, we could, and Fox could have spent the last two months promoting this exactly tournament, and now they'll have a day. <laughs> it's insane. And then people will complain that the ratings are low, yeah. or that there's not many people at the games. And, right. Um, in terms of like what to look for from the U.S. here, you know, remember Alex Morgan is out; she's pregnant. Uh, Carly Lloyd is now the starting center forward. So curious again to see how she does. I think there are going to be a lot of goals. I think she's going to score a lot of goals. And she's going to make her case for uh, for being the starter at the Olympics. You know, yeah. And obviously it's going to be a, a much tougher test uh, when the She Believes tournament comes. And the, and the opponents are going to be a lot harder. But... Um, Carly's pretty ruthless, and I think she's going to try and score as many goals as possible. But, like, by the way, save your columns if they celebrate these goals <laughs> because they're going to celebrate these goals. Um, yeah, uh, the two things that I'm watching out for is uh, I'm thinking more about how, as we see them more, how is uh, Andonovsky's uh, style uh, different to Joe Ellis? Right. And then Carly Lloyd is my other one. Like, I just, you know, I, I feel that there, it doesn't matter who, whether it's Haiti or... She believes Cobb later on, etc. I just believe that she's going to be extremely focused. She's going to not care. She's going to want to score a double hat-trick, I think, because she wants to prove a point. And another thing to keep uh, an eye on in this tournament, Christine Sinclair of Canada could break Abby Wambach's record for all-time international goals. Incredible. Uh, I don't know if their games are going to be available. I hope they are. <laughs> well, go on the <laughs> we website. Can, we can tell you about it. I know. We'll report it. <laughs> Is that it? I think that's it, my friend. Well, uh, tough episode to get through. Thanks for doing that, though. And uh, on Thursday, by the way, we'll have Meg Linehan coming in from The Athletic to talk uh, women's soccer in, in the U.S. women's uh, national team and the CONCACAF qualifying time. Yes, Meg. Thanks for listening, everyone. Thank you. <laughs>